Welcome to Over Our Heads. I'm Colin Rowan, the Director of Communication for Pecan Street. And I'm Rachel Jenkins, Pecan Street's Director of Operations. We're going to talk about solar panels today. And uh, directions of solar panels, which way they're pointing and why it matters for homeowners, for utilities, and how it impacts solar's role in reducing fossil fuel electricity. And we have a slight change in format for this episode. Our CTO, Scott Henson, who usually does our interviews, is the subject, and you, Colin, are the interviewer. That's right. The focus of the discussion is a study Pecan Street conducted a few years ago. And since it's our study, we thought it would make the most sense to have our resident data expert be the expert we interview. And that is Scott. And interviewing yourself is awkward. Agreed. And before we get started, I want to make sure people know where to get the study I'll talk about. You mentioned it in the interview, but it might help to have it here. The direct address is pecanstreet.org slash southwest. And if listeners want to browse all of our reports, they can visit pecanstreet.org slash work slash publications. That's pecanstreet.org slash work slash publications. And now we'll do it for Rachel and me. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott Henson. Hi, welcome back to Over Our Heads. This is Scott Henson. I am the CTO of Pecan Street. uh, And normally we would have an outside guest. uh, And this time we're we're making this all about us. Uh, We have uh, our communications director, uh, Colin Rowan, uh, who has uh, joined us today. We are are happy to chat with Colin. He has worked with us for a long time on our outreach, community outreach, and some of the, the research projects that we've done. So welcome, Colin. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here. So, to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk today about one of the issues that we did an analysis on several years ago, um, w- one that's kind of sparked most of a, a lot of outside attention. Um, and it is kind of exemplary of the kinds of questions that we like to ask here, Um kind of looking at the way things have been done for a long, long time and try asking questions about whether there are better ways to do it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about this idea of solar panels, where they should be facing, um, why they're facing uh, a predominant direction in the Northern Hemisphere where we are. Um, and before we get into the analysis that we did and why it matters and what the big questions are, I, I do think it would be important to back up a little bit and give some context because this really is just one example of how we need to be thinking about things differently. And I think going back to kind of where Pecan Street started and why we started to do this is um, important. So the first item on our agenda when we were formed about 10 years ago was the establishing a network of residents who would participate in a long-term energy research effort. We'd install equipment in their homes that would measure every circuit, uh, every minute of every day. Um, And then that data would start to populate a historic database so that we, researchers on our staff and others, could make models and simulations based on how people use energy Um, when they use it, how much they use, uh, how their appliances behave, and things like that. Um, So we'd have a test bed of new participants to test new products for outside clients. Essentially, we were building up the network that would support all of the work that we've been doing for really for the last 10 years. And to do that, we had a budget 
to incentivize two important technologies, solar and electric vehicles. Uh, we wanted to have as much so-called new energy customers as we could get. We selected a neighborhood in Austin called the Miller Community, which was a redevelopment of an old airport, new homes, energy efficient homes, uh, early adopters in almost every way that you can imagine. And we wanted to get as much new technology as we could fit into this one mile square because we wanted to measure all of it. So why not get as much as you could get? So for EVs, we sweetened the federal tax credit for people in our core neighborhood who bought or leased an EV and agreed to participate in our research. And for solar, we did something a little different. And that brings us to this whole concept of South versus West. So, so Scott, uh, I think we're going to jump to you here for a couple of the technical details. Um, there are a number of reasons that are baked into why most solar panels at our latitude in North America are facing South. So let's talk about a couple of them. Let's talk about output first. Why would you put a solar panel facing South? So over the course of the year, uh, depending on your exact you know, latitude and longitude, there is a best direction to point a solar module in order to maximize the total energy yield. So the, the solar modules are most efficient, and this is sort of varies a bit between module type um, of when sunlight is, is direct and normal on the surface of the module. And that only happens for very short periods of time in the day. And as a result, you sort of have to find a tilt and direction to put them that uh, maximizes the overall harvest. And so the reason you point them south is because as the sun rises and sets, um, a general southerly direction maximizes the exposure to um, uh, those direct that direct sunlight and insulation on the solar module. If you start pointing them other directions, it's not like they stop. They don't, they don't, there is, you know, you have to, you have to basically turn them over, over upside down and point them at the ground, right? Um, uh, in most cases to, to truly get them to stop producing. Um, it's not like they stop producing if you point them a different direction. It's just that they're not capturing as much of that incident sunlight that hits that surface and turning it into electricity. Okay, so if if every solar house were to have one of those tracking systems that allowed the panel to be perfectly perpendicular to the sun at all times, none of this would matter, right? This whole discussion wouldn't matter because you'd be track, tracking That's the sun. Correct. You, would, you would be tracking now the the folks that would repair all of those trackers right. <laughs> who would have a wonderful business, uh, and there would be m many of them because the, the mechanical nature of systems like that is inherently less reliable than the the systems that we deploy today. And until we can figure out how to get our roofs to spin, we're kind of stuck picking picking one direction. That's pretty much yeah, yeah that, right. that works. Yeah, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Okay, so we got total we got total production over the year, not necessarily on a given day, but over the course of a year. Your best bet to maximize output is to face it south, or generally south, depending on on, on how your house is oriented. Correct. All right. You know, there's, so that, a, there's a tilt up and down and then there's a direction, you know, east right. through west. Right. All right. All right. So that takes us to money. 
So we got maximum output south. So let's talk about money, net metering, and payback. How most uh, solar paybacks and incentives are structured and how that affects uh, orientation of the of the panels. That is a gigantic discussion. Um, we've <laughs> we've only have a little bit of time, right? But in general, you know, you've got net metering where uh, the electricity that you're consuming is measured, the electricity that you produce is measured, and they subtract the two from each other so that you end up with a bill that is representative of the energy that you consume minus the energy that you produced. And uh, there are, um, uh, you know, there's some places where they will give you a credit if you produce excess, if you if you produce more than you uh, generate. There are some places that don't necessarily give you a credit. So there's a, there is a, 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 emphasis, there is a uh, desire to right size solar systems in these places, right? Especially if you're not going to get paid for any excess production. You've spent money on solar panels that that won't necessarily uh, get you anything. You'd be wasting it. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be wasting that, that initial investment, right? Um, there are other systems that are uh, more complicated, uh, in some some ways, they could be made uh, to be uh, more fair. They could be made to to be make more business sense for the utilities. Um, there are methods where the the solar you produce is given a dollar value based on wholesale electricity prices. Uh, um, then you are charged retail electricity prices and things like that. So yeah, th- the idea of net metering is a bit of a rabbit hole. I mean, you really could spend hours googling the pros and cons there are a lot of strong opinions on about 15 different sides of that discussion i have spent hours yeah uh, i <laughs> googling all of these right. uh and i have seen many of those opinions um but but so. generally speaking the uh, the the reason the reason that you'd have it facing south is because notwithstanding some of the differences between a utility payback rate and and wholesale charges and things like that you're going to make more money over the course of a year or more savings simply based on the amount that you produce over the course of a year. Correct. Right. Now, Correct. we'll get we're going to talk a little bit about time of use, which is kind of a coming trend. I know a lot of uh, you know in in California where we're either already there or we're coming up to a time where people are going to be signed up for time of use as a default. Um it, it it's a potentially very powerful way to um, alter demand uh, over over the course of a day, and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here predates time of use rates. So it kind of presumes that a utility charges you the same amount of money for a kilowatt hour at eight a.m. than at three p.m. Um, regard you know kind of regardless of when you're using the energy, right? Correct. Right. Correct. Well, I mean, there's there's another discussion that we have to have, which is um, not only sort of the the, the cost uh, associated with buying energy, we also have to sort of have this discussion of integrating solar onto the grid. And when you produce energy on your roof 
where that energy goes and what that energy does. Right. And so there is, um, you know, if you're going to integrate more and more solar on to rooftops or distributed, uh, uh, generation of any kind, frankly, of any intermittent kind, um, then you have to sort of account for that, that physical interaction that's happening on the grid as well. Uh, time of use is, is what, you know, triggered me to say that, right. Um, because time of use, uh, is a powerful, potentially powerful tool to sort of help, uh, force those, those integrations using, uh, economic incentives rather than, uh, sort of, uh, technical tariffs or something like that. That is a, is a, uh, a rule put in place because it just has to be that way because of the physics. Got it. Good. All right. So, um, the next thing I think we need to talk about very, we, and we can do it quickly to kind of set the stage here, um, is the idea of peak demand, uh, and reserve margins and, uh, things that most individual solar owners don't have to think about because they're utility customers also. And so when they need energy, they can get it. But if you're a utility, you care a lot about here in Texas anyway, the hours between four and 7 PM on August afternoons. So it's really kind of the last ingredient that will help people understand why we cared so much about what West facing solar could do for us. So talk a little bit, and then maybe we can use Austin energy here in Texas as an example. Um, Austin energy is a, is a municipally owned utility. It has some of its own generation, but there are times like on August afternoons where it has to go out on the spot market and buy more energy in order to meet demand, which can be very expensive. So, um, why isn't solar on a South facing roof, um, as helpful as it could be to alleviate that problem for utilities? Well, the absolute shortest answer is, is because it peaks its generation roughly between one and two o'clock on a summer day. And you already alluded to the fact that sort of the hardest times for the grid is between four and 7 PM. So, so the solar is dropping off because the sun is moving off that sort of peak generation spot. And, you know, there's nothing we can do about it unless we get those roofs to spin, as you mentioned, right? There's nothing we can do about it um, uh, on an individual house uh, with just solar. Now, storage could play a part, but that's a whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pricing structure for electricity during summer afternoons is such that in Texas, uh, two years ago, uh, the price in, on a couple of occasions ran up against the legally mandated limit, which is, which was $9,000 a megawatt hour. Um, and that, that, you know, to put that into context, if you were going to run your air conditioner for an hour, the average air conditioner would cost $27 to run for that hour at that price. And so, uh, you know, conversely Austin energy at the time, if you, even if you were in a high electricity tier, cause we have a tiered rate structure, rate structure where we are right. That same hour of electricity or of, of air conditioner cost you 36 cents. And so, um, the 
obviously if the if the utility is having to buy that electricity to run that air conditioner <laughs> at $27 and then charging you 36 cents for it that's not a sustainable business model, model there's no way to make that up in volume and so so there are important the the important thing about the west facing solar this this west versus south facing solar study that we did is that the west facing solar even though you lose a little production over the course of a year and it varies by where you are um uh it shifts the peak in production later in the day roughly 4 p.m and so you you offset a lot more of those peak demand hours those peak that peak demand energy by shifting those solar panels west so essentially there are times during peak demand periods where uh any additional energy that a utility might sell is actually a money loser yes all right, so let's let's pause here for a minute and let everyone know where they can get this report. Um, you can go to pecanstreet.org slash southwest, one word. You'll be able to download the analysis that we did, uh, and there's a little bit of additional context too. But let's go ahead and jump to what we found. So, Scott, if maybe you could explain a little bit about the methodology, how many homes that we had, uh, what the setup was, how long we studied them, that kind of stuff. Sure. So we looked at uh, some early data from our research program when we did this uh, analysis, and we we looked at uh, fifty single-family homes. Roughly half had south-facing. Uh, Fourteen of them had solar arrays that were primarily composed of modules facing west, uh, and then there was another fourteen houses that had a combination of of west and south facing uh modules and you know even even the south facing solar systems helped right so they would uh on for these homes that we had looking at their load uh their 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 usage at the time uh versus their generation the south facing solar cut the the peak demand during those critical windows that we talked about, that 4 to 7 p.m., uh, by 54%. But the west-facing systems cut that peak demand by 65%, which is a pretty big jump, right? That's at, at the costs associated with some of that electricity that I mentioned earlier. Uh, that is a that is a valuable uh, chunk of electricity that they, that they generated. All right, a couple of things to point out there. First... Um, if your solar panels are facing south, they're not facing the wrong direction. We got a couple of news reports when we issued this this uh, paper a few years ago that caused a bit of a stir with some of our residents who had south-facing solar. So we had to fix that. Um, solar solar uh, solar panels facing south are helpful. Yeah, right. I they mean- re- they reduce emissions. They reduce the amount of energy from the grid. Even, they reduce your bill even slightly east right i mean like like as long as you are not due north in the northern hemisphere or pointed at the ground or something like that as long as your production is pretty substantial it's it's a no carbon source of energy that has free fuel right so it's a good idea 
um, as long as as long as you're you're uh, getting reasonable production out of them. Right. The the idea for this report is is that um, what has long been a assumed to be the the best direction may not necessarily be the best direction when you account for sort of the economics involved in in the production. Got it. Got it. Now, the other thing to point out is that for those of you who are looking at the report, it shows two arcs of production over the course of an average day during this test period, um, one for south-facing, one for west-facing solar. And the arcs look almost identical, except that the west-facing arc is shoved over to the right about two hours. Um, that energy that's being produced later in the afternoon is more valuable to a utility, right? Because that's when demand is really, really high. People are coming home. Um, I guess it's important to point out, if you don't live in Austin, you might not realize that the hottest time of the day in August is at 7 p.m. Like, it doesn't cool off after 2. <laughs> that's, that's, it's just getting warmed up at 2. So that's a really hot time of the day. People are coming home. They're cooling their homes. Um, and, yeah, we, and that, that's when the utilities sweat. Right. And we, we've, we've actually looked at sort of where that energy is going into those homes, right? Because the, if the grid is peaking there, odds are the homes and businesses are peaking, right? Well, it turns out that at five or so PM, there might be five to 15%, depending on exactly um, uh, what year it is. If you're in sort of COVID shelter in place restrictions and, or, or not, there might be five or 15% of the electricity or of the electric vehicles charging. Um, but there's 70% of the air conditioners are on. Yeah. And so there is tremendous demand in that later period of the day. Right. Right. Well, so let's talk also talk about that. Um, so you mentioned, um, the peak reduction that, that we found between West and South. Mm -hmm. Um, we also found kind of a, a, a difference between, for the West versus South homes during peak demand, during those peak hours, um, how much of the solar electricity that was generated on a solar home was actually consumed on site? Right. Right. And it's, it's a lot more, right? So there's, there's a, a, a improvement there. When you, when you have solar on your house, um, there's, almost no time during the day where your solar production matches your use. Exactly. The Perfect. house is right. And if that happens, it's just a odd, weird lasts a few seconds kind of thing. Cause there's constantly stuff turning on and off in your house. Um, and so, so what ends up happening is that if you're overproducing the energy and your next door neighbor doesn't have solar, the electricity is not going to go very far. It's, it's not going to go, um, you know, miles and miles away to the utility. It just looks like the combination of your two houses or your four houses use a little bit less electricity. Your, the, the neighbors on either side of you that don't have solar are the ones using the electricity that you generated. So that would put general, uh, in general, less wear and tear on, the infrastructure in a given neighborhood if it has significant solar but not if every if but not everyone has to have solar because it it reduces overall grid demand within that cluster 
Yes. Yes. There's, you know, at, at, at sort of lower solar penetrations, it, it start, it is very helpful as you start to increase that, then that starts to, there starts to be a break even point where now all of a sudden you need to manage that solar a little bit better, but that's another podcast. Right. And so speaking of the, speaking of other podcasts and other topics, we're going to get to to some of the who cares and so what of this um, for a couple of important constituencies. But there's one thing I wanted to ask about first, you know, over the course of this summer, we've done quite a bit of analysis on the impact of residential energy patterns since we've been all staying at home. Um and it's the grand blurring of yeah, our lives. <laughs> yeah. That's the, since the, 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 since the before times. Um, and um, I, I won't, we, we don't have to go into detail there. I guess suffice it to say what we found is that there's significant increase in residential energy demand. And that's not surprising because everyone's home. And so I guess my question for you based on those, th- that COVID analysis is how do you think if we were to do this analysis again, with south and west facing solar how much it's being used in the house versus going back to the grid what kind of potential or opportunity is it for the utility how do you think that changes kind of in a stay at home scenario i'd have to run the numbers uh part of me says you know like when we started doing the covid analysis we were really worried because in the march april time frame air conditioning usage was skyrocketing, right? And compared to historically what it, it had been used before, even even accounting for temperature and things like that. And, um, uh, but by the time the summer hit and rolled around, and we were watching the numbers come in, we analyzed them. It turns out that, you know, there's only so much more that the air conditioners can run on any given day. Mm-hmm. Um, when the temperature is a hundred degrees out, right at in the afternoon, if, if they're on 70 or 80% of the time, there's not much room to go up. Right. And so air conditioning use was still a tad higher, but it wasn't so much higher that it was like, Oh, that is a statistical anomaly. That is really different. No, I, I was like, eh, this, this might be just a warmish summer or just a little bit more usage because of behavior. But that earlier afternoon period, clearly we were using more electricity in everything else in the house. So, so we might've used um, quite a bit more of that, that solar energy in the home um, because those devices, when the so when those South facing uh, systems were peaking at 2 PM, those devices were on that were not on before the computers, the televisions and stuff like that, because we were all home instead of at soccer camp or, or whatever else we would have done that summer. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So let's go ahead and shift to some of these big, so what questions. So there are four, there are four big groups of constituents or stakeholders that seem to have, um, some interest or should have some interest in this potential of, uh, of West facing solar. Um, and I thought we might just kind of go through them. So, so if you're a solar customer, either current or prospective, um, is this really anything that you need to be thinking about or caring about or knowing about? Probably not right now, other than the fact that as the utilities get more aware and, and there are the utilities and sort of the, the organizations that, manage 
the rules around utilities, as they become more aware of this, they might start shifting the rules a bit to favor it. We've already seen some examples of that um, in Austin. We've seen some examples of that in California and Minnesota. Um, and so for the for the consumer, you might just know that if you if you look at sol- getting solar this year or next year and the installer recommends, oh, this size array facing this direction on this side of your house, et cetera, et cetera, those recommendations might change in a couple of years. And don't don't be surprised if that installer comes back and you, you decide you're not going to get the solar, but but five years from now you do, and that installer comes back and says, no, this time we're going to put them on that a different side of your house. We're going to put them on the west side of your house, and this is the size of array we're going to do. Um, because the way the solar is, you know, you get paid for it either by offsetting your energy use or or getting paid by value of solar doesn't necessarily take into account all of the benefit at this point, right? Um, and so right now for consumers, I would say whatever you think is the best deal from the best installer that you, you like, don't worry about South and West, right? That it's, we're just not, we, we haven't yet hit this, um, tipping point in the installed volume of residential solar, especially where you sort of have to look at that yet. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask about manufacturers and installers next, but it sounds like really the primary stakeholder, the kind of the linchpin for this making a difference is the utilities and the grid operators, the kind of the people who set the rules and the policies. Every, right. Everything I mean, is driven everything is everything is kind of driven by the dollar. Right. Well, I mean the the installers and um the installers and manufacturers have played a big role in this because uh, they keep pushing down the price as they get better and better at installing modules and inverters on houses and things like that, as they get better at manufacturing those inverters and the costs keep coming down. Uh, when I got started in renewable energy, the the wholesale price of a solar module was between 6 and $8 a watt. And... Uh, looking back on that, I mean, that's a, that's a laughably high price, right? I mean, it was nowadays it's so much less than that. I've seen, um, like 35 cents a watt and things like that for, um, very large purchases. So, so until you get the cost of the solar modules down low enough, um, where this becomes important, um, it, it almost doesn't matter. Right. And they've done a great job. So, so for those folks, they're effectively done, right? They've, they've done their work to help this now become part of the discussion. So, so let's talk about utilities for a minute, because they really do seem to be the linchpin here. Um, you know, so, so many consumer decisions are going to be made based on short-term, long-term cost. And so there really are a lot of changes for utilities to make both in the rules of what they permit and um, the programs that are set up to incentivize what they want. So let, let's talk about that for a little bit. What, what can utilities do? What should be on their radar of things to think differently about? Right. So when, when we got started in this, utilities, if, if the solar modules were facing too far west, utilities would often not even permit the installation. They wouldn't give you the rebate for it. They wouldn't permit the installation. They, they wouldn't let you do it, right? Right. 
because they were afraid that that lost production would mean your payback time would take so long um, that you wouldn't be happy with it. Well, that payback time problem is is largely gone because of the the lower cost of the overall equipment uh, and the 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 very cheap energy that's produced, right? So so that's largely gone. What they should be looking at now is things like load alignment and generation alignment, right? So we've already talked about how it it shifts to the to the peak. Well, it it also sort of changes the shape of that curve. Is that going to be helpful for reducing, you know, things like you hear about all the time, like the duck curve in California, right? Where you have to ramp resources, spinning resources that don't necessarily want to to start generating very quickly, right? You have to you have to ramp these resources up uh, to cover the drop off uh, in solar production as the sun sets. Well, if you have a combination of south and west solar, you can sort of you can you can change the the shape of that curve and make some of those things easier uh, for your utilities. So the utilities need to start thinking about how they can get this a combination of these shapes and curves and, and things like that to align with load. Um, and then the next step after that is which of those loads are shiftable and changeable to provide even more benefit where the combination of moving the loads around a little bit uh, in, in conjunction with the solar um, is, is even easier to deal with. Got it. Um, I'm going to do one quick little uh, additional promo for the report in case people want to download it. You can go to pecanstreet.org slash Southwest. Um, lots of stats, lots of figures, lots of methodology, lots of pretty charts. Um, I recommend that you guys check it out. Um, all right. I want to end here with, with just a little bit of a um, kind of an explanation or a pitch for the importance of real data. You know, kind of our, our, our mantra at Pecan Street is you can't know if you don't measure. And so, um, Scott, I know there are simulations and things like that that, have, that, ha- that look at solar production, peak production, things like that. But from kind of from a technical and from a scientific perspective, really, what was the value of us being able to go to actual homes and look at the actual production for, for this kind of um, analysis? So for the, if you wanted to look at overall load shapes and things like that, you can get really close with the simulations. If you wanted to look at, and and we're talking, when I say overall load shapes, I mean, we're talking like hourly generation curves. Okay. Um, We have long wanted to look at the next level of complexity in terms of what's happening for grid operations and stability uh, at a local or regional level. We wanted to validate the uh, assumptions of those models because sometimes those models uh, get uh, uh, the production curves a little bit wrong. For instance, when we when we first tried to do this, we tried to do it with some modeling, but the the uh, the way the models handled um, 
without getting into too <laughs> too technical, the way the models handled diffuse and non-normal uh, irradi uh, irradiance on the solar modules was incorrect. Uh, and so the answers we were getting were, were wrong, right? So, so, you know, best case, the models can get you close when you've actually measured it uh, and seen it in real life. You can, you know that you've got the right answer. You know what your, your errors are are based on the tolerance of your measurement systems. And then you can start answering uh, more detailed questions because you, you're not dependent on sort of yearly, monthly, or weekly averages. You can go minute by minute and look and say, what happened? Why was it happening? And what should we do about it if it starts happening enough that it becomes an issue that the grid has to deal with? All right. I think we're going to stop there. Um, thanks for your time today, Scott. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, I, uh, uh, I, it, it's interesting to be on this side of the interview. Uh, normally I'm on the other side. <laughs> don't get, don't get used to it. Um, I'm, well, I am kind of used to it from like conferences and stuff, but you know, Hey. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this part of over our heads. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, we will see you, uh, on the next episode and, uh, have a great afternoon. Nice job, Colin. It's nice to hear you on that side of the podcast. Thanks. It's nice to dive into some of our own research. Uh, we plan to do more of that throughout the year. And one last reminder for our listeners, you can access the report Colin and Scott discussed at pecanstreet.org slash southwest. And you can find all of our reports at pecanstreet.org slash work slash publications. And if you like today's episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us for Over Our Heads. Mm -hmm.